Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Really excited to kick off season two here with the Sports Digitus series uh, with Ben Tavener, Managing Director of International for Sports Digita. And we're going to get a little bit into kind of what it's like to build a career in sports internationally and kind of what maybe some of the differences are. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about his experience in the agency world, the team world, to then go into kind of the technology world and um, what skill sets and experiences have uh, transferred there. So Ben, uh, welcome back. Uh, this yeah, is week- good to be back, Jay. We ended the, uh, series one with you and Charlie Dewhurst from Sale GP, which was a fascinating conversation, just kind of learning about uh, what, A, what Sale GP was, and then, they, you know, they were kind of a new client, uh, figuring out how they sell uh, a new product, right? And so, um, let's just kick it off with your experience in building a career in the UK, in Europe. You know, you spent some time in Italy, Paris, et cetera. So um, just a quick journey, GPS journey on, on where you've been. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I cut my teeth in sales actually on the money markets of the city of London, uh, what you would call Wall Street. And that was back in the days before, if you like, automation. So I was literally writing prices on the boards being shouted at by 30 brokers in a sterling market, which was pretty exciting. And uh, you had to be very nimble. So uh, as I said, I cut my teeth in that and then realized I've got absolutely no interest at all in financials. um, And it wasn't my passion. And I wanted to work in something that I was passionate about and actually started... Um, In scuba diving, got all my qualifications, met a partner, and we started a business which we grew into, in fact, four scuba diving outlets in central London, if you can believe it, training people um, in pools and taking them off on holiday on dive boats all over the world, and then sold that successfully uh, and moved into the agency world, as you mentioned, starting at Octagon um selling pitch side advertising in those days actually there weren't that many led uh, systems so it was static boards um, back in the days before gdpr and uh then was um poached by uh img to go and work on their wembley stadium project which is our national stadium as a senior sales guy and then wanted to get into management I then worked as sales manager for UEFA Euro 2008 for all of the hospitality um, in various uh, territories. England, unfortunately, we got knocked out um, in the qualifying stages. So that became, uh, if you like, diluted to Greece, Portugal and another couple of territories. That was a very successful project. And the, the, the numbers there, Jake, were huge for IMG. Um, I think it was £655 million project, which at the time was the biggest sports marketing project in the world for Club Wembley. And then I think the budget for 
Euro 2008 was something like 250 million euros. So big, big successes there for the company. And then was sent to New York, uh, worked for IMG. Uh, unfortunately, the financial crisis hit then, so it was very difficult to sell big ticket uh, sponsorship uh, um, assets. So uh, that actually led me to being headhunted by Juventus Football Club in Italy. And uh, with new baby and my wife, we traveled to Italy in July 09. Um, and literally was given a laptop budget and hey, start this premium sales project. We want the Wembley model and we want uh, a team of guys on the ground here in Turin selling. Uh, we had, where do we have, 4,000 seats and I think it was 60 boxes. And interestingly, Sport 5, the agency, I work for the rights holder, Juventus, and that they are the Manchester United of Italy. They're the most supported club in uh, Italy. And equally, they have, I think they've just been named number one Italian brand over Ferrari now. So you can imagine the scale of that on and off the field. Um, the club came seventh two years in a row which was an absolute disaster. I was going to um, say, if, if the brand <laughs> is bigger than Ferrari, got to be easy to sell, right? No, well, it was not easy to sell. And interestingly, it was more an education piece because there was no hospitality really um, across Italian football at that time. And equally, no stadiums in Italy at the top flight of football, Serie A the Italian league actually owned their stadium. So it was a, a very much a, a revolutionary project in Italian football and, and equally a very innovative project. So um, as I said, we were, we were educating the market, whether that was high net worth individuals or brands to come into premium hospitality at the stadium that hadn't been built. So it was conceptual as well, as well as education in it. Occasional, um, and with the lack of success on the field, um, it was an extremely challenging project going into it. We opened with 86% sold out in the hospitality areas under, under my responsibility. And then we had some success on the field with a new manager, um, Antonio Conte, who's now at Tottenham and just effectively qualified for the Champions League there. Um, so once on, on, on the sales side with starting something new in effectively what you're, what you were kind of describing as, uh, something that hadn't existed before in a market, it's conceptual. You've got to sell the concept before it actually exists. And then people don't know what they want or need if they have never seen it before. Right. So how do you create that for them? Correct. Hey, you need this. <laughs> well, that was the challenge, and I've heard that many times before. Oh, it must have been easy to sell Juventus um, hospitality. It really wasn't, and my team did the most incredible job, and we we just had the best team atmosphere. I brought a lot of what I'd learned from actually uh, still a, a really good contact of mine who's now the venue director at uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And, uh, and we were taught these sales processes and sales skills at Wembley, which again, Juventus was smart because they wanted to replicate the successes that we'd had 
at the National Stadium, which of course was a very famous project, and bring it to the Italian market. Um, so yeah, I, I, I brought a lot. Uh, I learned a lot from Wembley. I brought a lot in, and obviously had to adjust that into the Italian market and blend that into the requirements to to uh, be successful in Torino. So. Um, we were sold out and then I was given the reins, which was a big jump for me, um, for more commercial verticals at the stadium, um, including ticketing and, and all sorts of uh, different areas of the stadium, which was fantastic. And then Sport 5 owned half of the rights at the stadium. They owned the naming rights and also half of the hospitality rights. They made me an offer to go to Paris uh, so after four great years in Italy, really fantastic on and off the field. Um, uh, my son was born there. So, was, you know, Bambini and just everything, the culture, the food, the skiing, the beaches, you know, everything was there in Turin. So it was hard to leave, but equally um, got to Paris uh, for Sport 5 back in the agency world, which is a little bit more uh dynamic let's say and uh probably day-to-day -day a bit more exciting uh, and unequally challenging um i had uh, a number of sales teams across france on what we call um well i mean they were just general marketing agreements with clubs where we'd have in-house sales teams from the agency local to those stadiums and we were selling hospitality and sponsorship um, some successes there, but <laughs> the, I've actually followed recession around the world because the financial um, uh, meltdown in New York happened while I was there, and then the financial meltdown in Europe happened when I was in Italy and Paris. No excuses. We were successful at Juventus and some successes in Paris, but it was extremely challenging market at the time one, one, would, one would say that's kind of interesting since you started off right in the in the financial markets and yeah know, yeah absolutely. Uh, so, it's weird how things connect right yeah it's true and um yes i mean i don't think my financial kind of <laughs> macroeconomics knowledge or lack of knowledge helped much but uh, in any case uh we had some successes in paris and then my wife and I felt we wanted to get back to the UK, mainly for education piece uh, for, for our children. And since then, Jake, I've been in effectively self-employed mode, um, dipped in and out of sponsorship for uh, Usain Bolt for six months, which was exciting for the para, uh, excuse me, the Rio Olympics. And then equally partnerships for Feld Entertainment, which were more strategic than kind of cash, cash value, uh, and did some good deals with great brands there, and then really wanted to, as an independent kind of more salesperson rather than manager, I recognised I was getting a little long in the tooth. There were probably uh, less expensive people than me out there who could do the same job. So I wanted to get into a new market, always been interested on a personal level in technology. I was into computers, you know, when I was eight years old. I won't say when I was eight years old, but it was a very early stage computer. Uh, uh, ZX81, if you've ever heard of that. 
Sinclair, uh, look it up. And um, yes, always had a huge interest in technology, whether that's music or computers or whatever it might be. And I felt that would be a great vertical to get into. And that's where I started with um, core software. I had a good successful couple of years, more, I think two and a half years with them. COVID hit, uh, some obviously problems globally um, in the careers market, let's say. And since then, again, I've picked up various uh, self-employed short-term gigs and then met with Sports Digital. In fact, I'd met Angelina, our owner, through a partnership with Core. I think it was in 2019. And literally reached out to her and said, look, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'd love to work with you and provide my services and my network to rights holders and, and agencies across Europe for Sports Digital. I'd known that they dipped in and out um, a little bit from across the pond. And here we are eight months later. So, yeah, I hope that was a quick enough snapshot, Jake. Well, you've got a, a plethora of experience, so it wasn't going to be quick, but I, I think it's really valuable to just understand the different moves you made, right? And I even think later on into your career thus far, like making some of those, uh, as you call it, self-employed moves, right? Where you went to go gain a specific experience and, you know, do something a little bit different. And uh, I want to talk about just kind of what it's like to have a career in sports. What's What's the mentality and the perspective across the pond in Europe uh, about having a career in sports? Is it as sought after as it is in the U.S.? Is it uh, different, you know, because there are, you know, not as many sports that are as big, right? And you kind of only have so many options. Um, you know, obviously there's sports that exist in Europe and, and globally that don't really exist as much in the U.S., right? Whether it's cricket or, um, you know, we talked about sales, GP, et cetera. But what, what are some of those things that you've learned having spent a little bit of time in New York City and just understanding the landscape, uh, you know, in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, look, the, 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 the industry has changed hugely in those terms over here in that I think when I started 20 years ago, you could it, it was very much, you know, who you know, um, where you'd been in your life, you weren't necessarily hugely qualified to get into the sports industry unless you had, of course, skill set to, to be uh, to add value to rights holders or agencies, and equally a passion for sport. You know that counted a lot in those days, um, and that's certainly driven my career rather than being qualified. And I think that the market has changed hugely in terms of, you know, there's a lot of money flowing around sport. There's private equity, there's venture capitalists, a lot of it's flowing in from America. And with that money, it requires, in my opinion, you know, very, very smart people, very, very well qualified people. And I would suggest there's possibly been a squeeze in, if you like, at the top of the sports industry, whereby you have venture capitalist money, PE money, whichever way you want to describe it. And along with that comes highly qualified legal accounting, uh, commercial operations people, possibly from American sports, 
but certainly they want you know their investment back um so at the top of the market you've got that and then equally to your point at the if you like the intro the introduction of the market for executives there are highly qualified people who are prepared to work as interns for free or um have had internships to get to if you like a day-to-day -day job whereby again they're very very well qualified they've got high degrees they've got uh, internship experience and, and it's not and that squeeze from the top and the bottom if you like a squeezing out people who have a passion for sport and know the right people to get into the industry so yes it's changed and when you look at the landscape now in Europe like where are the majority of opportunities and experiences if someone's listening to this and said you know what I want to go I want to go live in Italy for a couple of years, or I want to go live in the UK for a couple of years. Like, what am I going to do? Right. And I think, uh, obviously soccer is, is huge. Um, so that's, that's one place to start, but where are some of the other opportunities that exist? Well, I was lucky enough to go and work abroad on the continent. Um, and furthermore in America in times before Brexit, before COVID, um, I, I believe, as I understand it, those are those are, you know those events have, have presented huge challenges, just on a bureaucratic level. Um, so I would say, where are the opportunities on the continent? I, I would suggest you need to be very experienced now. I mean, the the, the changes that I see on my LinkedIn network are always. You know, heads of departments who are being employed rather than, hey, I want to work at Juventus as a sales executive and I've got this, this qualification and this experience. You, you need to be, it seems, I may be wrong, very, very experienced and have uh, areas of expertise that are clearly going to add value, but at a management level um, across those sports. Uh, there are all sorts of um, different sports where opportunities lies and the, um, if you like, challenger sports to soccer in particular or football um, would be, you know, as we talked about sailing or I mean, <laughs> there's no cricket on the continent commercially, but, you know, there's rugby, there's huge uh, leagues now across France and there's a, there's a lot more opportunity across the wider sports landscape. But again, I would suggest it's mainly people who've come up into their careers and now they're at 35 and they're ready for that big jump into management. We talked about selling Juventus, right, with the, con the concept, you know, starting from scratch, trying to, to you know, mimic what, you know, they had done in, in Wembley. How is the sales side of things, sponsorships, et cetera, shifting and changing in, you know, in your landscape, knowing that um, technology is a huge factor now and people are busier than ever. And, um, you know, you're trying to, to, to be the biggest and the best next thing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really interesting question. When Wembley and Juventus and somewhat IMG in New York, it, it was pretty old school selling. It was, you know, we had a very basic CRM platform. I couldn't even, I can't even tell you what it was called. Um, it was, you know, data entry and reminders on your outlook. And 
you know, entering in comments. I mean, it never had any of the sophistication that a Salesforce or a Dynamics would have now. Um, and then furthermore, the cell itself was very much consultative relationship building nowadays those kind of cells are very data backed that's at the forefront and if you don't have the data you you really just you're on a wing and a prayer um, sponsorship particularly hospitality now yes of course you need to have backed up benefits features great assets, all of that good stuff, but equally there's a day to play even in the hospitality sale. And furthermore, you know, what we do at Sports Digital, we provide tools that are gonna speed up sales cycles, provide analytics to help you understand, you know, who's opening your presentation, when they're opening it, what they're looking at, what they're interested in. So there are all sorts of tools, obviously sponsorship analytics, you know, sponsorship valuations, None of that was around 15 years ago, and it's grown and grown, I believe, you know, in America, for obvious reasons, uh, much earlier than in Europe. And even today, you would be surprised. I spoke to a huge club in Europe, Champions League. They don't have a CRM platform. Nothing. You know, it's Excel. Yes. Yes. Yep, absolutely. This is a big club. And, um, you know, that gives you an indication, okay, that, that's a, let's say that's an exception. But when I started at CORE in 17, five years ago, you know, the, there were huge, huge clubs, again, with no CRM, they were just getting started. And that to you guys in the States is, you know, it's not even spoken of. And furthermore, what's been interesting at Sports Digital is, you know, the analytics that are provided off the back of a presentation is a given to rights holders. It doesn't matter if it's a minor bar, a baseball team up to the Yankees, you know, it's, it's a given. It's not, it's not something that's a, um, a nice to have or anything like that, which is what we come up with here. And, and furthermore, many, many rights holders and agencies didn't even know that you can have analytics provided for through platforms uh, um, nowadays so you know it, it's been a fantastic path at sports digital it's been one of education again somewhat not 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 across the board on on the education piece but there's certainly been a lot of education and equally it's a it's a growing market there's a lot of opportunity here we've we've um gained some fantastic clients in the path uh, that I've been on here and furthermore you know we we're looking really strong going forward into the next quarter and certainly um, later in the year as well so the all of all of our our feedback so far has been healthy and equally we're, we're growing a business here one thing that in in your world Jake is that's helped me hugely is a sponsorship, a partnership with another podcast called Are You Not Entertained, um, which is two, three guys on a podcast. It check, the topics change every week, obviously, but um, we sponsor a fortnightly podcast uh, of what they do, which is all about the business of sport and the reaction and uh, actually the benefits of awareness for us at Sports Digital have been fantastic. And equally, the guys there help us hugely with 
their networks as well. So that's a, a genuine partnership that's helped us. It's, it's amazing to just kind of see, uh, A, how you can work smarter, right? Not harder. And then, you know, continue to or evolve both. or both, right? Like it, it allows, working smarter allows you to work harder, but have more benefits, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's that multiplier effect in that sense. But uh, look, as we wrap up the episode here, excited for uh, what's to come in the, in the rest of season two, just a couple quick rapid fire questions for you. Um, oh, those ones again, eh? Yeah, Great yeah. Um, food in America. Hey, you know, it's, it's uh, we'll give it a shot here. Um, the, the best food that you had in New York City when you were there? Italian food, for sure. sure. Yeah, but, but how does that compare to your Italian food in Italy? Uh, in, in some restaurants that I ate in in New York were, were as good as Italian food. However, the best meal I've ever had was in a trattoria in the middle of nowhere in Italy. It cost, I think, 30 euros for my wife and I to have a full slap up lunch for four courses, wine, the whole lot. And it was literally cooked by um, the lady out the back, so to speak. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. So uh, when I go to when whenever I can get to Italy, that's, I think that's forty forty dollars. That's that's we're set. That's good. We're good. <laughs> um, if if you're traveling to Europe, what's the best place to go, and what's one place you haven't been yet that you want to go to? Well, London is clearly the best place, Jake, to go in Europe. It was a trick question. Uh, sadly, Moscow was somewhere I wanted to go where I've never been. I, I've been to, I think I've traveled to more than 50 countries in the world over the years. Don't forget, I was a professional scuba diver and I was into skiing instruction as well. So um, that enabled a lot of travel. But yeah, Russia sadly was somewhere I wanted to go but I certainly don't want to go there now yeah all right so scuba diving uh that to me that's fascinating like to be a professional scuba diver that's that's one that not many can say they probably are I would imagine um where was the best place you've scubaed is that is that the correct uh, terminology scuba yeah, well yeah well, well you guys say dove uh, we say dive um <laughs> Papua New Guinea that was mind-blowing. That was uh, incredible uh, in, on what you call liverboard. So on a boat for a week, going right out there as remote as possible and uh, just, yeah, mind-blowing. I can imagine you're not taking selfies out there or anything. That's like a remote. I don't think selfies <laughs> existed in 2002, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> What's one place you haven't scuba'd that you want to go? Oh man, I don't scuba dive anymore. I've done one dive, in fact, with the president of Juventus in Italy in 2000 and I think it was 11. I haven't dived since uh, 2004, but if I was to do it again, I'd love to do the Galapagos. That's an interesting one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's so many places, uh, you know, 
obviously you've been to 50 countries, so I'm sure there's plenty more that you'd want to go to, but there's just so much uh, to see out there. Ben, really appreciate your time, your perspectives. Uh, enjoyed listening about your journey, kind of where you've been, the different perspectives in Europe and, and elsewhere. Um, looking forward to uh, continuing to follow your success out there and uh, talk to you soon. Absolute pleasure, Jake. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.